Chapter 10 of High Adventure, a narrative of air fighting in France, by James Norman Hall. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. High Adventure, a narrative of air fighting in France, by James Norman Hall. Chapter 10. May we, mon boy. The grand and glorious feeling is one of the finest compensations for this uncertain life in the air. One has it every time he turns from the lines toward home. It comes in richer glow if hazardous work has been done. After moments of strain, uncertainty, when the result of a combat sways back and forth and it gushes up like a fountain, when after making a forced landing in what appears to be enemy territory you find yourself among friends, late this afternoon we started, four of us, with David's as the leader, to make the usual two-hour sortie over the lines. No Germans were sighted, and after an uneventful half-hour, Davis, who was always springing these surprises, decided to stock them in their lairs. The clouds were at the right altitude for this, and there were gaps in them over which we could hover, examining roads, railroads, villages, cantonments. The danger of attack was negligible. We could easily escape any large hostile patrol by dodging into the clouds, but the wind was unfavorable for such a reconnaissance. It was blowing into Germany. We would have it dead against us on the journey home. We played about for half an hour, blown by a strong wind further into Germany than we knew. We walked down the main street of a village where we saw a large crowd of German soldiers, spraying bullets among them then climbed into the clouds before a shot could be fired at us. Later, we nearly attacked a hospital, mistaking it for an aviation field. It was housed in by some hangars, and had none of the marks of a hospital excepting a large red cross in the middle of the field. Fortunately, we saw this before any of us had fired, and passed on over it at a low altitude to attack a train. There is a good deal of excitement in an expedition of this kind and soldiers themselves say that surprise sorties from the Arab have a demoralizing effect upon troops. But as a form of sport, there is little to be said for it. It is too unfair. For this reason, among others, I was glad when Davis turned homeward. While coming back, I climbed to five thousand meters, far above the others, and lagged a long way behind them. This was a direct violation of patrol discipline and the result was that while cruising leisurely along the motor throttled down watching the swift changes of light over a wide expanse of cloud i lost sight of the group then came the inevitable feeling of loneliness and the swift realization that it was growing late and that i was still far within enemy country i held a southerly course estimating as i flew the velocity of the wind which had carried us into Germany, and, judging from this estimate, the length of time I should need to reach our lines. When satisfied that I had gone far enough, I started down. Below the clouds it was almost night, so dark that I could not be sure of my location. In the distance I saw a large building, brilliantly lighted. This was evidence enough that I was a good way from the lines. Unshielded windows were never to be seen near the front. I spiraled slowly down over this building, examining as well as I could the ground behind it, and decided to risk a landing. A blind chance and blind luck 
attended it. In broad day, Drew hit the only post in a field five hundred meters wide. At night, a very dark night, I missed colliding with an enormous factory chimney, a matter of inches, glided over a line of telegraph wires, passed at a few meters height over a field littered with huge piles of sugar beets, and settled comme un fleur in a little cleared space which I could never have judged accurately had I known what I was doing. Shadowy figures came running towards me. Forgetting, in the joy of so fortunate a landing, my anxiety of a moment before, I shouted out, Bonsoir, monsieurs! Then I heard someone say, Et glob? Losing the rest of it in the sound of tramping feet and an undercurrent of low guttural murmurs, in a moment my spad was surrounded by a widening circle of round hats, German infantrymen's hats. Here was the ignoble end of my career as an airman. I was a prisoner, a prisoner because of my own folly, because I had dallied along like a silly girl to look at the pretty clouds. I saw in front of me a long captivity, embittered by this thought. Not only this, my spad was intact. The German authorities would examine it, use it. Some German pilot might fly with it over the lines, attack other French machines with my gun, my ammunition. Not if I could help it. They stood there, those soldiers, gaping, muttering among themselves, waiting. I thought for an officer to tell them what to do. I took off my leather gloves, then my silk ones under them, and these I washed about in the oil under my feet. Then, as quietly as possible, I reached for my box of matches. A trampling of feet again, and a sea of round hats bobbing up and down and vanishing in the gloom. Then I hurried a cheery, Cava, monsieur, pass them all? By way of answer, I lighted a match and held it out, torch fashion. The light glistened on a round red face and a long French bayonet. Finally, I said, Ousiste, Francis, monsieur? In a weak, weary voice, My oui, mon boy, my oui. This rather testily. He didn't understand at first that I thought myself in Germany. Do I look like a Bosch? Then I explained, and I have never heard a Frenchman laugh more heartily. Then he explained, and I laughed, not so heartily, a great deal more foolishly. I may not give my location precisely, but I shall be disclosing no military secrets in saying that I am not in Germany. I am not even in the French war zone. I am closer to Paris than I am to the enemy first-line trenches. In a little while the sergeant with the round red face and the long French bayonet, whose guest I am for the night, will join me here. If he were an American to the manner born and bred, and if he knew the cartoons of that man Briggs, he might greet me in this fashion. When you have been in patrol a long way behind the enemy lines, shooting up towns and camps and railway trains like a pack of aerial cowboys, when, on your way home, you have deliberately disobeyed orders and loafed a long way behind the other members of your group in order to watch the pretty sunset, and, as a punishment for this aesthetic indulgent, you have been overtaken by darkness and compelled to land in strange country, only to have your machine immediately surrounded by German soldiers, then, having taken the desperate resolve that they shall not take possession of your old battle-scarred avion as well as your person, when you are about to touch a match to it, 
if the light glistens on a long French bayonet, and you learn that the German soldiers have been prisoners since the Battle of Simone, and have just finished their day's work at harvesting beets, to be used in making sugar for French poulois. Oh, boy, ain't it a grand and glorious feeling! To which I would reply in his own memorable words, My wee, mon voice, my wee! End of chapter 10